you have 80% of people in agreement on both sides of the aisle in some of these issues. That is not reflective of the governing body and how they vote. I, I don't know when the fever breaks. I don't know what the end game is for when the entire state of Tennessee wants something, 80%, and yet we, we continue to push our elected body in one direction or the other. Is that the singular issue? Well, if I was a challenger, I would make it the singular issue. And I would triangulate every other issue back to that one. Kind of like, Braden, what do I like to talk about all the time? Your, uh, legalized housing? Housing. Housing. But maybe this is a good point. My advice to any legislator, find a subject you're passionate about. Become an expert and only speak on that topic. Nothing else. The corresponding effect that brings, he or she only talks about X. Not Elon Sewer. I was going to say, I'm more of an Instagram guy. No, not, not Elon Sewer. And when that person rises to speak on that subject, everybody else will then maybe listen to what you're saying because they know you're doing the work. see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. Happy holidays, everybody. Whatever it is you may celebrate. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall and on Blue Sky at Braden Gall as well. Just follow the show at Pod Bless Nash on X. What about Instagram? Pod bless Nashville. Your IG people, they're they're pretty slow on the uptake. Seems like our people like (laughs) X.com instead. There's more creatures roaming around on on Twitter.com than they are on Instagram. That is for sure. But uh, uh, we played earlier uh, an interview. We posted it earlier this week, an interview with Joe Pitts, the mayor of Clarksville, uh, and how they're dealing with the cleanup. Of course, Hendersonville and Madison also affected uh, in a big way by the tornadoes over the weekend. We record, for the, so that everybody kind of knows here, a little peek behind the curtain, we record on Fridays. A couple of big news stories, the police investigation into the Covenant leaks broke late on Friday evening. The tornadoes on Saturday evening did not make it into the show uh, last episode, but we did post an interview with Clarksville Mayor Joe Pitts. If you missed that, we'll, we'll, we'll replay it for you guys uh, at the end of the show today. Really fun episode coming up for you guys over the Christmas holiday, sort of a deep dive into the Metro Council budget process, which begins in December each year with a former council member. So you're going to get a really nice, fun education into how the bu- budget process, that's that's everybody's idea of a good holiday party, right? Learning how the med- Metro budget process works. Budget expert, we are really seeking <laughs> your five-star rating. Don't forget, folks, four stars, you are a hater. Uh, got some fun stories, or maybe not some not so fun stories. We might curmudgeon stories. I don't know. Cell phones in schools, tipping uh, in the state of Tennessee. There's a transit story in the lookout. Also, some toll roads, uh, choice lanes. I believe is how they're being branded. School choice and lane choice. Just so much freedom, Jamie. So much freedom around the state of Tennessee. Toll road sounds to legislators like red flag. It cannot be used. <laughs> Strangely enough, one of those has already been passed. So we'll get into some news there. Uh, there's some polling out by uh, Vanderbilt, which, again, not all polls are are created equally. They're not forward-thinking. They're not predictive. They're not backward-looking. They're just a snapshot in time. But 
the temp there is a conversation to be had about the temperature in the state right now as it pertains to the legislative body U.S. House, U.S. Senate, the local Metro Council, and just sort of some of the moderates that are making decisions. So we're going to have a conversation about that. Uh, but we'll start, and then again, we'll, we'll talk about the police investigation that broke late last Friday, two Fridays ago, that was after we recorded. So we'll get into that. Jamie. You can see the air quotes around the word investigation, right? <laughs> making sure people an, can see that. It's an audio medium. I, I do think that one of the things about the storms, and there's a lot of different ways you can get involved in this. Again, you'll hear from Joe Pitts coming up a little bit later on, kind of explain the immediate reaction to what took place in Clarksville. NashvilleResponds.com is a good website. It's sort of a coordinated effort of nonprofit organizations that will come together. All your United Way of Middle Tennessee organizations, there's a United Way of the greater Clarksville area. The United Way of Middle Tennessee is a great way to get involved. There's also... There's also um, uh, volunteering, go to the city websites, Hendersonville, Clarksville, or Madison, and go to the city websites and, and check out what the volunteering situation is in any of those particular areas. This week is the week they need the volunteers because it's sort of the second pass through the cleanup process after the tornadoes. So make sure this is the week you, you sort of, but but do it in an efficient way. Go go see what they need, what supplies they may need, what what equipment they may need. Find out where you can kind of fit in to the big piece, big picture, and, and help out. This is a good week to go do that before the Christmas holiday. Because like Mayor Pitt said, you know, people get distracted, move on to Christmas holiday, and right. that's when people are needed. But you're also saying that disaster tourism, not helpful. And hopefully we're, we're past that stage. By the time you're listening to this, we are beyond that. But I do think it's worth reminding everybody, this, this devastation disaster tourism thing, it happened in our neighborhood, Jamie, in 2020, where like I, I ran down to my kid's daycare with a chainsaw and worked for seven hours and it was just slow traffic coming by me the whole time. Nobody getting out to help. It affected the way we could get to people, friends and family. If you're just going to drive through a devastated area and take videos, get the fuck out. Okay. I don't, I have nothing else to say to you folks, but, but stop that shit. Okay. I'm sorry. Is that, is that about it? Is that, is that about all that we need to do? <laughs> sore spot with you i you know, it, i was i was pretty upset at that 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 morning when when friends were trying to come help us you know pick up neighborhoods and people's homes and my kids daycare and the churches and the all the stuff that needed help and you couldn't get in because looky loose or rubbernecking with their cell phones just uh, yes yes jamie you're right it is a sore spot but so, na- but now we know from, alone. but now we know from mayor pitts that you know the solution to that dipshittery <laughs> is barricading the neighborhood. Uh, he he said he didn't want to do it, but he would if he had to. So uh, there you go. Hopefully he hasn't had to do that. We'll play that interview for you a little bit later on. Okay, so late Friday, two Fridays ago, after we recorded, there was a story about the covenant leak process and um, the police investigation, of course, that that took place. And the headline here from the Nashville scene: All avenues exhausted in investigation of leaked Covenant school shooter writings. So there were so that you don't know, there were three photos leaked about the, the Covenant shooting on March 27th. The, the, the leak happened a few weeks ago, and seven officers were immediately placed on administrative leave. All seven are now back into their regular duties. Quote, the investigation has not identified current MMPD employees or employees of any partner agency as engaging in the unauthorized release of the images. The release also, of course, said that there was an unidentified former MNP det- PD detective 
who, quote, possessed the images as part of his official duties, but Jamie would not sit to be interviewed by the police. This is like a real whodunit. Whodunit. We, it sounds like we know. <laughs> Someone in MNPD, and I would surmise other places, knows whodunit. But if you decide not to sit, you will be acquitted. If you commit a crime, are you allowed to just not be interviewed by the police? No, I'll pass. I think that's... Uh, You're allowed to do that? Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Well, but you still have to sit down in the chair, right? <laughs> and say that out loud, right? Or or have your lawyer say that to somebody? Maybe some silver bracelets might induce you <laughs> to talking I, to I them. I mean, like, I, it's, I read that and I was like, if only the job of the police was to conduct investigations. Unbelievable. Now, Do I, they I, investigate things that are not crimes I, not, or alleged crimes? Not normally, right? Quote, the investigation led by the police department's Office of Professional Accountability determined that the three cell phone photographs were taken in the immediacy of the moments just after the shooter's journals were discovered in her vehicle. Two detectives assigned to the Specialized Investigations Division took the photos as part of intelligence gathering to learn more about the shooter and determine whether anyone else was involved with her. First of all, I think that came out of the corporate BS generator. Dude, that is so much bullshit. There's no way you're just, like, standing there snapping a cell phone footage. Like, is that proper protocols on crime scenes, investigation-wise, to snap a, snap a cell phone photo of, your, of a diary? I didn't go to special investigation detective school, but I think that's bullshit because looking at the picture, you could tell. It's just, that, a per, it's, just a, it's just a person standing there. Grabbing it out of their pocket. God. All right. Anyway. It, What's that, embarrassing that's the for update. the city is that the, this – Individual who won't sit for an interview was not identified by name. I think the public is entitled to know the name of that individual. I, I, I agree. It's in the public good to certainly know that. Uh, and on top of that, and Jamie, you can give me the uh, the official title. Is, is the Court of Appeals that ruled in favor of the Covenant parents who are seeking an intervention to not allow the journals to be released. And that intervention was successful correct in the court of appeals the trial court chancellor aisha miles granted those parties motion to intervene in a public records case and this part to me has is a, is a bigger story than the police maybe not checking in on a guy that pr- probably did this this is a bigger story for those that don't know anyone in the state of tennessee can request uh, information that is public. If you are a citizen. Following the investigation, once the investigation is finished. Stephen number two is a citizen. You have to be living here, a resident, uh, and you can request information. It is certainly mostly the job of lawyers and media to do this, but anyone can do it. It is in the Constitution that you can ask and request for these records and information, and once the investigation is complete, which it has been for a while. I don't think it's in the Constitution. I think it's state statute. You're big on words. I appreciate that. Yep. Um, you're the numbers guy, but the, but this is a dangerous, dangerous precedent to be setting that. And again, it's not all the way finished yet. Correct. But like, it's, it's a dangerous precedent to allow a, And it's, there's no doubt that we all sympathize with why the parents want this information to be private. That I, is, I would be with them. Right. It's that not happening to us. Yes. hundred percent. Exactly. It's not that we don't sympathize and understand what the covenant parents want in this situation, but it is an extraordinarily dangerous precedent to keep public records private because a private citizen asked you to 
And that is a real dangerous, because that's what's happened here. And that is a very dangerous precedent to set. Public records disputes in the future will now, parties not related to it, possibly even, will be seeking to intervene because they have some interest in keeping those records from being public. You could see where some entity or corporation got some benefit of the government, and they're going to jump in and say, no, I don't want that record released. Bad news. There's a million reasons why a private party would want that stuff sealed. I would go and so there's far a million as, reasons why they're not allowed to be sealed. I would go so far as to say it would defeat the very purpose of public <laughs> records laws. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so we'll see. But again, not for lack of sympathy for why the covenant parents want that. So a uh, couple of stories there on the on the leak. I, ultimately, do you think anything changes if when if and when the the journal is released, the diary, the documents, the whatever you want to call it? Do you think anything changes? public perception wise I, I don't i'm at this point they're just drawing it out and making it actually worse because now it's going to have another news cycle if and when it does come out which we've talked about with with other folks on the show before i i had little interest in seeing those documents writings manifesto as chief drake called it initially but now i do i'm with you on that one yeah all right uh some transit notes and some toll road notes, some choice well, lane, Braden. Nope, nope. I'm choice gonna, lane. I like bad branding, toll roads. Uh, and then, of course, uh, an Axios story about hourly workers, or excuse me, um, tip workers in the state of Tennessee and where Tennessee ranks. Cell phones in school, and if, we'll get to that in a minute. And then, of course, the mayor of, of Clarksville, Joe Pitt, is going to join us in just a second. But there was some polling done, and this is, you know, Holly McCall had an article, had, had an op-ed about this. Sort of the hollowing out of of moderates in in the state house. Uh, Sam Stockard wrote about this in different ways for the Tennessee Lookout, but Vanderbilt did uh, some polling, and all of it sort of ties into a, a broader conversation, Jamie, about temperature in the state from voters and from elected officials. And the headline here is is Vanderbilt poll finds Tennessee legislator approval rating at forty two percent. Now, there's a ton of other stuff in this Vanderbilt poll. So, do you want me to give you all the information first? Give you all the data, and then we can go kind of work through it or do you want me to go piece by piece here what do you want give it to me all right so number one and a may 2020 survey says 2020 that may 2020 says that approval rating of the state lawmakers was at 60 percent all right not terrible not great but not terrible pretty good relatively relative to national polling averages well now we were in a feel-good pandemic time <laughs> uh yeah we were all in a great space there mentally but that approval percentage, according to a recent poll conducted between November 14th and December 2nd of over 1,000 registered voters in the state of Tennessee, has now dropped to 42%. That's down 18%. We are now down to 42% approval of state lawmakers. Again, just a reminder, obviously, polls are just, polls can be flawed. Polling uh, strategies can be flawed. And, of course, polling is just a snapshot in time. This pollster does have a checkered past on accuracy but go on so that's the number one overall overarching you know sort of broad start to this conversation is that we as a state have gone from approving of our state legislator to disapproving of our state legislator in a broad sense i can't not a surprise at all based on the news that we've had and the way the state has functioned with all the u.s supreme court rulings with all the state bills that have passed state legislation not a surprise at all that we are now disapproving of our legislative body. I I'm not sure what it means, Braden, because I, I go back to 
gerrymander that's not a reflection of their state rep you know a lot of times congress gets a bad rap deservedly so the council gets a bad rap deservedly so but everybody loves their individual rep or congress member or council member so i don't put much stock in it that's my broad point uh, of the 1005 registered voters that were polled 53 percent were republican 34 percent were democrat 13 percent were neither uh, a couple of other ones that I don't really know need too much explaining here. Marsha Blackburn versus Gloria Johnson in the U.S. Senate race. That's a 53-36 number, according to this poll. That's about right. I don't think that that's any different than any other poll has indicated. That's also probably about where the race will probably end up. Sorry to poo-poo anyone who thinks Gloria's going to Well, somebody must have said, here's how you win an election. Send a boatload of emails. Re- requesting money that that'll get it better than that'll, text better than text messages that'll do it I, I will send you money to stop sending me text messages that's how i'll donate but interestingly enough the and this is sort of if you are a democratic activist or democratic uh, operative or want to build a machine in the state for voter turnout or messaging strategist or comms artist or whatever you got to play the long game in a lot of these races megan barry is going to soften the ground for whoever comes after her and tries to win the, the Mark Green district in District 7. Uh, Marsha Blackburn, you got to soften the ground. If you want to beat her, you're going to have to beat her probably in 2030. And it's it's going to have to be because of this particular number, which is that her approval rating, it's, it's now down underwater. She's now at 41% approved, 46% disapprove. And that number has shifted over the last few years. Again, if that that's the number you're trying to, you're trying to just keep dinging her and knocking her down over the course of the next term because she's going to win. And then you hopefully you find the right candidate with the right message at the right time. And hopefully the soil is fertile for somebody to come and attack her in, in 2030. If that is the side of the aisle that you reside on. But you never know, like, why is people, why are people mad at the legislature? It doesn't give any specific reasons we can guess, but you know, they could have voted for or against some individual matter. They could have not responded to their email, phone call, what have you. I, I can give you a few few numbers if you'd like. Let's go. Okay, I got some more. Same same study. Seventy six percent of Tennesseans polled in this in this poll. Again, remember, fifty three percent of of these people are Republican. Seventy six percent in favor of red flag laws for gun safety. I can say it on the pod. Am I allowed to say it on the pod? That is that word has been banned. Okay, that is called an extreme risk protection order. Uh, 76% strong, somewhat or strongly uh, agree with passing red flag laws. Also, strengthening background checks on firearm purchases and require, requiring guns in cars and homes to be stored securely. So I don't think that lines up with what you're saying about, I mean, I understand your, your point about gerrymandering, but if 76% of 1,000 people want all these things, that's a large majority of Repu- that's a majority of Republicans that want it as well. And and the fact that the legislative body will not even be allowed to utter the word red flag, I would argue, is part of the discontent. Because the reason they won't utter those words is because she gone. She gone. <laughs> Deborah Maggard. RIP your political career. Okay, let's see what else. What else we got here? The poll also found that forty-seven percent of respondents believe that abortion should remain illegal. So, for those of us who are pro-freedom and reproductive rights for women, not a great number there. I think that's called choice. Yeah, it, it is. That now I'm good with using choice. Now, oh, have, I see. Now I'm good I with see. it. 
so so technically, again, according to this poll, again, take it for what it's worth, abortion is a 53-47 issue in general. However, 77% support exceptions for rape and incest. I assume, and, and we just had a Texas Supreme Court ruling on the woman who had to leave the state because she had a stillborn baby and it was going to cause major health issues for her personally. Had to go to the emergency room like four times. Thought she was going to win the case. I think they just ruled against her in Texas. And so we have one of the most restrictive laws on abortion in the entire country. No exceptions, no no anything. We're, we're, just, we're just great to our women. And that tells me right there, that's the same exact thing. 76% want some gun safety movement. Not happy with the legislative body on that issue. 77% want at least some common sense humanity and exceptions in the abortion conversation and reproductive rights not getting what they want from the legislative body. I think that issue, no exceptions on abortion, that could be weaponized to pick off certain legislators in vulnerable districts. And there's going to be an opportunity for the GOP to gain a seat in the state house of representatives because Darren Jernigan is retiring at the end of this session. And I wouldn't recommend focusing on the gun. I'd recommend focusing on the exceptions to abortion. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. But you, um, that, that also requires a functional TNDP, you know, which its executive director is determined by shitty-ass committee that they should burn down a bunch of old white people. Well, to your point, uh, the poll found that the gun safety issue has fallen as the top priority in the state. During the most recent special legislative session to address gun violence, public safety, 35% of respondents said they paid somewhat or very close attention. The survey found that less than 1% of Republicans see gun safety as their most important concern. So I guarantee you there's some Republican women out there that see abortion as a much bigger concern than the gun safety issue. So I agree with you on that one. And the polling agrees with you as well. I think common sense. And you also want to know what election history across the country also says that that's the case. When very, very red states like Kansas and Kentucky and reddish states like Ohio are all, you know, abortion is the deciding. Uh, I think there was a, a, a Supreme Judge election in Wisconsin where she made it the, she made abortion the center of her campaign, went on and won. So uh, I think that's... So maybe if you're running for statewide office and you're sending out four fucking emails a week about a host of topics, maybe that's not a coherent winning strategy well it also is but what i find interesting is when you take these polling numbers and you see something like very few things poll at 80 percent, and some gun safety legislation and some limitations to the extremely harsh and strict and let's be very honest dangerous reproductive rights issues you have 80 percent of people in agreement on both sides of the aisle in some of these issues that is not reflective of the governing body and how they vote and it's why, again, you package this with, I think it was Thursday, uh, Franklin Republican Sam Whitson said he's not going to seek re-election. Some would call him a, I think the quote from Holly McCall is, he's become a, quote, dying breed, a moderate Republican. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got, you know, Bill Lee's refusal to uh, any of his people talk about anything. They don't answer questions from the media. I don't know what's going on. You've been on the hollowing out of the middle for a long time. I, I don't know when the fever breaks. I don't know what the end game is for when the entire state of Tennessee wants something. 80% of want something 
and yet we we continue to push our elected body in one direction or the other. I, I don't know what that what the results are after that. I, I don't take our own house district, Braden. Moderation is not going to win you a primary. No, I, right. Well, that but that's the case. Period. Because across these the country, while while there might be polling favorability on an issue, is that the singular issue? Well, if I was a challenger, I would make it the singular issue. And I would triangulate every other issue back to that one all day, every day. Kind of like, Braden, what do I like to talk about all the time? You're, and it's not on the board. Uh, legalized housing, God's plant. Housing. 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 Legalized housing is technically on the board over there. It's permanently on the board. It never gets erased. Housing. But maybe this is a good point to interject a point relative to effectiveness. And I think we're touching all around it. But my advice to any legislator, whether that be local legislative body or state legislative body, find a subject you're passionate about, whatever that is. Become an expert on it and only speak on that fucking topic, nothing else. So the the corresponding effect that brings is that, hey, he or she only talks about X, not Elon Sewer. I was going to say, I'm more of an Instagram guy. No, not, not Elon Sewer. And when that person rises to speak on that subject, everybody else will then maybe listen to what you're saying because they know you're doing the work on it. It's too easily get too easy to get distracted, which leads to what? A dilution in your ability to what, Braden? Get shit done. You can't be an expert on all this shit. Find one thing, singular issue that you're passionate about and press it forward all the time and let that other shit go. It, it also will help you to campaign, right? That's the point. It'll certainly help you because you'll be branded in a certain way. Hope I mean, I, I, I maybe I don't share your... Uh, I don't know what the right word is. The fact that everyone's going to all of a sudden start listening, you know, maybe that's true. I hope that's true. But I do know that if you can hammer home a singular message as an expert in a certain area that clearly you can authentically trans- transfer enthusiasm about, that is a very good winning election strategy for sure. There's no question about that. I can't make people listen to other people in the in the chamber, whatever chamber it might be. I mean, when it's the same people jumping up, talking about all kinds of bullshit that they probably know nothing about, but they read something, they saw something, nobody's listening. It's performative. But if you stick on that one topic, that one subject, it's not performative. It's real, authentic concern about an issue, and you're trying to solve the problem. Legalize housing. Zoning reform. Build more housing. Paint it yellow, slap a turn emoji on it. It's working. <laughs> well, I hope my my parallel track of public transportation is working as well. 2024 dedicated transit referendum, of course. The one thing that I keep thinking about, we've already talked about this on the show a number of times, and uh, Adam Freeman wrote a nice piece about this, sort of analyzing sort of the entire scope of the operation with what the mayor's office has to accomplish to try to get a traffic referendum on the ballot in 2024. And my biggest concern all along has been I thought I started thinking about this a couple of months ago, and I thought, look, you know, no September that gets you 14 months to ramp this up and get going. Right after, you know, of course, winning a runoff election, like get started on it right away. And they're down to now 11 months to get this thing put together. They do have some previous plans that they can pull some concept fronts that maybe makes it a little bit easier to sort of, you know, put together the actual plan. 
But then you have to package it with an incredibly effective messaging strategy to get people to turn out to vote for it in November. Hopefully they do that with the presidential election in an easier way. But there's there's a lot of work to be done, and the timeline here is the problem. What do you always say about a campaign? What are the two th- two most important things in a campaign? Money and time. Money and time. The time is all that matters here in this particular campaign. They've got to get a plan put together, and they've got to do it quickly, and then they got to message that shit real fast. And a 501c4 will be created to come up with the messaging and do the campaign. So uh, anyway, go read the story. Good story. I would... I think we've kind of talked about everything in the story on the show and uh, but it is it is sort of lays it all out that we got to get moving on this. And I think I do think the mayor's office is motivated to get moving on this. Well, budget season is on the horizon after the first of the year. Mayors start meeting with department heads, formulating the budget. That process is already underway. You know, that's going to take away time. But we're a three plus billion dollar city. We got to be a walk and chew gum at the same time. Transit referendum, zoning reform, budget. Let's go. Well, and to your point about like be a person who knows a thing, this is Freddie O'Connell's thing. Like he's the transit guy. You you got to be able to execute the transit plan. Uh, and so hopefully he had a lot of ideas in place before getting elected to put the plan in place quicker. Because I think most people that are that are in favor of this understand the ramifications, right? The housing density that's tied to it. They understand. The benefits to the neighborhoods and the and the local businesses and the walkability. We had uh, Rollin Horton in here l- last week talking about all those things, and they're all kind of tied together. But you have to get a lot of so you have to get a lot of people on board. I think most neighborhood folks are on board. Maybe small businesses are on board. I think a lot of council members are on board. It's going to be about getting the the development class, at what, what we might call the the biz pigs <laughs> involved in this. Because sales how the biz pigs rolls raising money for the five hundred one c four. There but, you go. Okay. You know, I don't need to see chamber of commerce mucks out there running around about messaging and talking and no, strategy no, 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 no. and all that BS. No, that's true. But you got to get. They have to be on board with the plan though. And the sales that the way you generally pay for this stuff: sales tax, hotel motel tax, and an impact fee. Well, the sales tax impacts everybody across the board. So you don't want to use that. You want to use that as, as lightly as possible because that impacts a lot of lower income families a lot more than, than everybody else. Hotel motel tax, everybody kind of knows what that is. It's going to be raised for the East Bank development by 1%, right, from 6 to 7. I think you probably could do that again and go up another percent. Who's coming in session starting January 9, Brayton? The Tennessee legislature. I, I think you could go up. And by the way, uh, if they were to move it to 8% or even 9%, it still would not make it one of the highest motel hotel taxes in the country. And our sales so. tax is nine and a quarter, but down in friendly Williamson County, how much is it down there? 9.75. More taxation down there in Williamson County. Um, but the, the impact fee is the key here. Uh, and, and hopefully we'll have some more conversations on the show about what exactly an impact fee is. But that's the one that could be... And I believe it's Adam Friedman called it the white whale of, of financing. So gotta well, figure, I got to figure that one out. If you're going to use that term, I got to say right now, all developers are building the improvements to the water and sewer system right now at zero cost to the metropolitan government. And that is bullshit. So perhaps if we lowered the impact on the developers in some areas, we could raise the impact on the developers in other areas that would ultimately provide a net gain for all parties involved. Hey! All right, that there. that to me is what they've got to get. They got to get all those parties on board with this transit stuff, because look, adding toll road lanes to our interstate Choice infrastructure lanes. is not going to solve the problem. It's not going to solve the problem. Choice.
Lawmakers challenge board control over toll lanes. Now, Bill Lee's just randomly put all his buddies on the board. Um, but here's what's fascinating. It's a $3 billion road construction plan. And essentially, they're going to allow private contractors with 50-year contracts to construct highways and then allow them to charge fees for this. But the most congested, and this is mostly around Nashville, Memphis, Chattanooga, and Knoxville, the most congested roadway in the state is from Nashville to Murfreesboro on I-24. And they have already said that they cannot fix it and implement this process there. So if you are going to spend $3 billion, private or public, on fixing a congestion problem and then charge money and make all that back on the back end, a private company from outside the state is going to make all that money for 50 freaking years, don't you need to solve the problem? I would wholly support even more expenditure than $3 billion if we built a mass transit line from Murfreesboro to Nashville. That okay, would sign be me up. Okay. fucking spectacular. Instead, we got a three-plus billion-dollar project, and uh, we can't do anything about that. I mean, we've got we've got the one train we do have, right? Runs from right in the heart of downtown, right there on, on the riverfront, all the way out to Lebanon, right? Correct. So we've got one of those already. Why not do one of those? Music City Star. Yeah. My parents' house out in Lebanon can see it from their house. Why not have another one of those? Well, Costs you less than $4 billion, I bet you. Could they run it more frequently? So the bill passed um, last year, 26 to 6 in the, in the Senate and 78 to 12 in the House. But it does have some bipartisan opposition, so it'll be interesting to see what happens quote from John Ray Clemens, of course, a Democrat in the House. Most Tennessee families would be shocked to learn that Governor Lee and the GOP supermajority gave unelected political appointees full discretion to decide whether a private company can charge them a toll to drive on the most heavily used roadways in their town. I want to know how what problems are they solving? I want to know how much it's going to cost me to get in the choice lane because between four and six o'clock every day of the school week i am on those roads in the traffic taking my kids to their various sports ball related activities uh, i want to say it was up some estimates are up to 300 dollars a week 15 dollars a day especially if you're using it for a, a lengthy period of time i suppose well i hope all those mercedes and land rovers get in it because that's a little too steep for me no, no kidding <laughs> My silver truck doesn't need that kind of cost. Uh, under the bill passed this year, the state will use $3 billion in Department of Transportation funds for toll lane projects, rural road construction, and other road work. What are we doing? Well, we're not running for the school board. I didn't get enough signatures, Jay. I am uh, didn't get enough sad that you neither picked up nor collected the required amount of signatures. The odd number districts are up. And much different from 2014-2016 races, with the exception of one district, School Board District 1, there's no competition for these seats. Before you go any further, I want everyone listening to, off the top of their head, I'm going to give you like three seconds of silence here, name a school board member. They are responsible for just over a billion dollars of a budget that are generated from our property taxes and about 81,000 student population and only competition in one three, five, seven, and nine, no competition 
i.e. those candidates were elected because they were the only ones qualified, and three and five were open seats, seven and nine have incumbents, but the race is going to be in school board district one, which includes, strangely, East Nashville High School and a lot of North Nashville. But there's also competition for Circuit Court Judge Division 4, which I recently learned Division 4 is responsible for what, Braden? If you just learned it, I do not know. Adoption. Mm. Adoptions are approved or disapproved in Division 4 Circuit Court. That seems important. But kind of the surprise of the day was the fact that Vivian Wilhoyt, our Constitutional Office of Assessor of Property, has drawn a challenger, Tomesia Day. She picked up her petition yesterday morning at 8.30 and turned it in before noon, qualified, and she is the spouse of Circuit Court Clerk Joseph Day. So we got a race for property assessor. And again, these elections will be held March of 2024, which is actually much closer than people realize probably, considering our national politics. We laugh, Braden, but once upon a time. I was not laughing. In 2018, that's when we had a transit referendum on the ballot. So can you see now, perhaps, low enthusiasm, low participation races was not a good time to have a transit referendum. I've I've never once argued with you on that, big guy. So when are we going to have it? Uh, Well, we've got, if we're going to do it before the East Bank, uh, better happen in the next 11 months. Uh, Do you want to be an old man for a second? Uh, You sent me, we were talking about topics for the show. You are a... Geriatric millennial, <laughs> millennial yeah, yes. that identifies as Gen X. So I'm, a, I'm transitioning. Well, I got that right. I'm transitioning. Okay. Yeah, I'm a geriatric millennial who was born a millennial, but I don't identify as one necessarily sometimes. I'm Gen if X. If I'm out at the club on Friday night, then I, you know, and by the club I'm talking about like a, <laughs> like a concert where I stand and sway, you know, like the middle-aged dad that I am. Uh, that's the club. Then I feel like I'm a millennial. But all the other times of the day, I feel a little bit more like a Gen X. Is that that's what before that's what's before me? That's what you are. Yes, Gen X. Okay. So we're prepping for the show, and we will hear from a far more important conversation from uh, Mayor Joe Pitts coming up in just a second. But you sent me a link to an article that said there was a study about cell phones being banned in schools. And can we I, call it a smartphone? I've never felt more. Yeah, that's true. Smartphones, phones, whatever your phone. I've never felt more. My transition happened faster <laughs> than when reading that article. Why did you send me that? Because as a parent of teenage boys, the fight that is constant every single day is getting the phone removed from my child's hand it is and sur- face. It is surgically implanted. But they are they swear they are not addicted. Oh, do they? They do. I'm so glad they know that. They they asked me, would you rather us be on crack? And initially, I was a no to that. Oh, you're, sweating, you're changing? I'm, I'm, I'm coming around. It might be better. I mean, it is it is for your brain. It's not any different. It's a dopamine hit to the bottom of your brain stem. And uh, we are the new big oil. There's no question about that. Uh, the, I've said it on the show before. Fossil fuel industries is no longer the biggest in the world. The tech industry is the biggest in the world. It's an attention economy. And we are the commodity, humans, our attention, our brains, our eyes, our time. Uh, and it is not making us better. It's making us worse in every conceivable scientific way. There, this is not me saying it. It is all scientific study. It's all social science. 
uh, increased depression, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, here, I was having a conversation with somebody, Jamie. Like, kids are not – here's the one. Maybe this is a good side effect. 21, 22, 23-year-olds are not drinking as much because the pandemic affected them. They, but they're also not dating. They're not driving. They're not, they're not like, out doing things as much anymore. And a lot of that is because you can just sit on your phone in your house. Ian Bremer, our friend, put a tweet up the other day had a graphic of how people of opposite sex are meeting one another these days. And for the first time has been tracked. The number one way is online. Well, yeah. And if you go to college, you're not meeting any new people because you can sit in your dorm on your phone. Like I didn't have any of that. And again, this is where we're going to sound like a couple old guys, but like if this is the, imagine 12 year old me in 1994 in fifth grade, which is about. Are what, you making those numbers up? No, that's all about right. Uh, I was. No, that would have been sixth grade, maybe. But sixth grade is kind of what we're talking about. And it's the ballpark that your kids are in. And that's when you probably are. Most parents are about to give a phone to a kid, hopefully. I've seen a lot that are a lot younger, and that's ridiculous to me. But what's interesting is, like, imagine if I took in, like, a Sports Illustrated, and I'm going to. This might be the nerdy side of me coming out, like a stack of baseball cards, a Sports Illustrated. A, a, a Tetris on my Game Boy, and I all and I went into school and just had that at my desk, and I was looking at the magazine, playing with my Game Boy during a a lesson plan from a teacher. I would have been kicked out of class and sent to the principal's office. Like it's beyond comprehension that you can be. I, I don't think they need to be banned from school altogether. I don't think they need to be removed. Like oh, you have to leave them in a at home or whatever. But they cannot be allowed to be active. During class, <laughs> you can't. You ever been to a? What are you? Do, what are we doing? You ever been to a stand up at Zany's? Yeah, I love it. You put the phone in the bag. It's great. I love it. Uh, uh, Neil Brennan, not Ian Bremmer, but Neil Brennan, co-founder of the Chappelle Show. Absolutely brilliant comedy set, and we just had to sit and enjoy it through our eyes. It's amazing. It was a fantastic night. The last time I was at Zany's, it was to see Chris Rock. It's a pretty good one. But the two audience members, one upstairs sitting in front of me, one downstairs, downstairs, Spike Lee. Oh, was in the crowd? Yep. Nice. Upstairs, Kid Rock. Interesting. Uh, I saw, Maybe uh, who did I see? I Kid saw... Rock or Chris Rock for president. Kid Rock, of course, uh, his bar. I think Kid Rock has officially ended his boycott on Bud Light, by the way, even though his bar never did. Side note. Never happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. They stopped selling their top thing or whatever. Just so you know. I saw Trey Crowder and uh, Corey Forrester and Drew Morgan, the the, the, the well-read uh, liberal rednecks or whatever. I saw that group at Zany's. Oh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. The number one seller in the world of Bud Light bottles, Steve Smith. <laughs> in the world? Yes. That's not you're that's not you're not making that up or uh, hyperbolic. You're number one retail salesperson of Bud Light bottle, Steve Smith. That boycott must have <laughs> performative, Braden. Oh, is that what you're suggesting? Maybe. Take my assault rifle out back and shoot some beer. All right, way to go. But I'm not going to shoot my profit. Of course not. So in those bars, let's hope some of them are safer now. Hopefully any of those bars have signed up for the Safe Bar Program. And if you're going into any of those bars, ask those folks if they are part of the Safe Bar Program. We've talked about it on the show many, many, many times. But another note that you need to have, if you are in one of those bars or any other place where 
you have restaurant workers and tipping is a possibility. And I'm not talking about like at the gas station where you buy a six pack and then it asks you to tip. You don't tip there. That's not what we're talking about. If you are being served in the service industry by a restaurant worker, please just compulsively over tip. So Axios has a story about Nashville area restaurant workers seeing bigger paychecks than the last year, but that their overall growth is down. So they're up 5% uh, in terms of average wages in the area. But because the pan- post-pandemic, it was hard to find labor, hard to find work. There was sort of an imbalance in the marketplace. Wages went way up. They had to do that to attract good quality work. Of course, that's now coming back down to earth, but still positive, five plus 5% in wages. Uh, there are only four states in the country that do not have added to the minimum tip hourly wage, which is $2.13. When I waited tables for whatever it was, six years in college, I made $2.13. Do you you know the four states that have not tacked on additional revenue to that minimum wage? Well, that presupposes when you say that, it's like, well, that's, that's all they're making that hour. That's not that people know how tips work. Jamie, don't, I I don't think don't twist this reflective of reality. But yes, the only reason you're asking is because Tennessee must be on that list. Tennessee, Mississippi, South Carolina, what do they have in common? And Utah are the only four states in the country. Only four states in the country that have not at least added a little bit more to the $2.13. On top of that, Tennessee, we rank 45th in the country, according to a USA Today study, on tipping. Like, we are the worst tippers. So not only are we not paying people a li- just a tiny little bit more than, than any, we're paying the lowest possible amount of any state in the country, we are also the worst humans at tipping these people that work very, very hard to serve us good quality f- food and meals. And I know people in Manhattan at really nice restaurants can make six figures. There's res- really nice restaurants in Nashville where people can make pretty good money being a server. That's not the argument. As a whole, we can do better than 45th. We are better than that. Just, compl- just. Do you need that extra dollar more than the person that's serving you the, the meal? No, you don't. If you're eating at that restaurant, give a couple extra bucks. All I right. N- I never tip less than thirty percent. See, at- that's a compulsive over tipper. You're in the crew. And I also, particularly when I have cash, and because I told you between four and six o'clock, I'm on the roads a lot, taking the kids to sports ball. I go to drive-throughs way more than I'd like to admit. If I got cash, I always, I always tip the person to, that hands me the food at the drive-thru. Stop going through drive-thrus, dog. I, I mean, I hear that from my wife, Braden. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I, I don't want to get in her way. <laughs> There's no chance. I just, uh, come on, 45th? Uh, we could do better than that. I just, and I say this, and I'm not going to, oh, God, I wasn't going to do this, but you you're, you start at 30. Like, I start at, tw- like, if it's terrible service, I'm at 20. You know what I mean? Like good service, 25, 30%. Absolutely. I, 20 is like at the bottom. And because I am now, this is where I go back to being a millennial again. <laughs> and I know my father doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> see a 10 percenter? No, but like he. A lot of the olders, their, their standard is 10%. No, he's a 15 start. And then if you did a pretty good job, you might get up to 18. And I like don't like going to lunch with him because <laughs> I look down at the bill. And if I take him out, I feel very comfortable, <laughs> but if he takes me out, I'm always looking at it going like, I do that thing where you're looking across the table and you're watching the guy put the, I'm like, oh, it's going to, oh, it's going to be 18%, isn't it? The guy did a great job. Give him 25. What, what's the extra $4? 
What's the extra $5 to you? If I can call out my own dad, I can call out everybody else, I guess, right? Love you, Dad. Okay, that about does it for us today. Uh, one more thing. All right, hurry up, man. To those MLB to Nashville haters, this past week, Brandon Taylor, councilman for District 21, hosted a community meeting entitled... Do you, do you have to be at the meeting to be a host? Called MLB Baseball Stadium Discussion. How'd that go? I don't care how it went. Oh, oh, really? I do not. You don't care that everyone there hated the idea? I do not care. <laughs> that North Nashville doesn't want baseball coming? People don't have meetings about things that aren't happening, Braden. <laughs> yes, they do. No, they don't. No, they don't. It's called the Tennessee House and Senate. No, they don't. It's called the Federal Working, no, they don't. working Group for Federal Funding. It's called... No, 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 no. It's called the entire U.S. House of Representatives that is... Now spending our time and money on investigating an impeachment of the president to which all of them acknowledge is completely full of shit. So, all right. Uh, with all of that said, uh, a more serious conversation uh, with the Clarksville mayor, Joe Pitts. If you want to get involved, we'll link some stuff in the show notes. Uh, there's a phone number. All that stuff is in there. So go check it out. Uh, and uh, just smart best practices here on how to help in, in tornado relief areas. Uh, otherwise, that does it for us. Have a uh, We got a really interesting conversation about... Uh, the Metro budget coming out after the Christmas holiday. So whatever it is you, that you celebrate, have a great one. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Kwanzaa, the Festivus for the rest of us. Whatever it is you celebrate, have a great one. Uh, take a deep breath. Enjoy it. We'll have an episode for you following uh, the holiday weekend. Otherwise, uh, listen to the mayor here on how you can best help the tornado-affected areas. For Jamie, I am Braden. Here is our conversation with Clarksville Mayor Joe Pitts. Joining us on the show today, Mayor of Clarksville, Joe Pitts. Obviously, wish this was under much different circumstances, Mayor. And we know you're very, very busy, but we do appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time today on the show. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's good to be with you and to tell our story. So I guess we'll start right there with how people can help. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of organizations out there. But what is your advice to folks who want to help, who want to be a part of the, the, the healing and the recovering in all of these different communities? What is the best sort of best practices and best course of action for folks who want to get involved in, and try to help communities like Clarksville, Hendersonville, and Madison? Well, thank you. A couple of things. First of all, uh, pay attention to the local government websites who have the most up-to-date and accurate information. There's a lot of well-meaning organizations and people out there on social media passing around information that may not be up-to-date or accurate. So go to the city of Clarksville website or Montgomery County website, and you will see that information listed prominently. First, if you need help, go those to those sites. There's a list of resources available, everything from shelter, food, clothing, financial assistance, medical assistance, whatever you need, it's available. But if you're not impacted and you want to volunteer or help in some way, there's two ways you can help. You can volunteer to help clean up. Uh, we don't need any volunteers today and tomorrow. We had a thousands of people, literally thousands of people yesterday on the ground in the affected areas, sweeping through, did a great job of pulling debris to the roadway, to the side of the road. Uh, we need a couple of days for our people to get that stuff out of the way because we're trying to do this in kind of two or three phases. First is clean up, get the roadways clean uh, and the debris moved. And then we will make another pass or two or three or four, whatever it takes to clean up the remaining debris, be they trees, 
wood, metal, whatever, but we're going to, we're in this till the very end. If you want to give financially, uh, go to the United Way of the Greater Clarksville Region website. They've got a secure link that you can give online. Uh, we are promoting that as our go-to because we know 100% of those funds will go to the people who need it. You know, in the lead up to the storm, what were the emergency broadcast protocols that were deployed to mitigate damage and harm? Well, we had we had local media publishing storms are coming. Uh, we've got emergency sirens. You know, there's been a, a fair amount of traffic back and forth about whether they work. They did work. We've had verification of that. We But we are going back and testing to make sure that we didn't miss anything because we're not taking anything for granted or treating anybody's concern lightly. Those sirens did go off uh, as planned. Um, unfortunately, the storm was here. It hit and it it uh, created a path about 12 miles long across our city that created some devastation. So our emergency management agency was on top of it. Uh, unfortunately, it was just such a destructive force that it was really hard to overcome it. Were you were you at OEM headquarters in the lead up or were you at home like everybody else? I was at home like everybody else, um, getting calls and paying attention to the messages I was getting from our folks about, you know, what the storm, the expected arrival times, uh, where it would where it would likely touch down. And as soon as it did, uh, I got a call from our fire rescue department and our police department about damage, uh, immediately went to the emergency operations center. Um, and they were everybody in the room was was taking stock of what was happening. How much communication? I mean, obviously, you're focused on your immediate community and, and all the needs that you guys have. But there's also all these other affected areas. You've got the mayor of Nashville who needs to be involved in this with Freddie O'Connell. Like how how much communication takes place in the aftermath of trying to organize a recovery process that doesn't sort of stress resources too much and sort of maximizes the efficiency of of all the different areas, Madison, again, Hendersonville and Clarksville being able to sort of recover in the most efficient way? Well, I did hear from Mayor O'Connell uh, immediately after um, pledging help where where we needed it. And then, then Madison was hit. Um, so, and I've heard from fellow mayors all across the region, frankly, all across the state. Um, everybody from former County Mayor David Alexander down in Lynchburg area to, um, you know, Chattanooga and Knoxville and all points in between. Um, but there was a lot of communication and traffic back and forth. Heard from Mary Esther Reed and Smyrna and Paige Brown and Gallatin and you know, just the list goes on and on in Moore and Franklin. So there was a, a lot of communication back and forth. And everybody to a person was saying, whatever you need, let us know. Now, we have been overwhelmed, I'll say, by the generosity of people, uh, people just wanting to help. Uh, so we're cautioning people to stay out of the neighborhoods right now. Give us time to work. And then another thing that just really bothers me is people are still driving through video cameras on your phone, taking pictures. Destination, uh, devastation, disaster tourism, as I call it. Uh, we don't need that. Um, and so I hope we don't have to take the step, the extraordinary step of barricading these neighborhoods and you have to prove you live there to get through. That's not what we want to do, but we're willing to take that step if we can't stop it. You mentioned other mayors. So let, 
What about regional, state, or federal cooperation and coordination? Are you hearing from state and federal partners as well? Yeah, absolutely. TEMA was on the ground immediately with us, present in the EOC on Sunday afternoon and evening. Uh, Governor and Mrs. Lee were uh, boots on the ground Sunday afternoon uh, in a neighborhood with us. We had our legislative delegation uh, helping us. Um, FEMA, uh, the White House reached out to me yesterday and said, whatever you need. I said, well, what we need is for TEMA to do their job so you can do your job and um, and I'm confident they're all doing it. Are all the victims housed at least temporarily? Yes, we've um, we've taken care. We got shelters set up, um, but it, most everybody I talked to Sunday as we made an early morning pass and walked through the neighborhood said they had a place to stay, uh, either short or long term. Um, so I'm encouraged by that. But our shelters are beginning to fill up. I know this is probably too early in the process, uh, but I am curious. I live five miles south of of Madison. I have two daughters who have been now involved in three or four of these different types of scares. Certainly the 2020 tornado came right through our neighborhood. And I, I know that there's a lot of data collection that takes place. And, and you know, we've got sort of some predictive measures. All those emergency services seem to have done an excellent job in this process. But do, do you have any uh, understanding of how we take the information that just happened and try to add it to a larger picture that can maybe in, inform decisions down the road on how we, you know, change things, change protocols, become more effective in, in managing these things ahead of time? Yeah, that'll be the next step, right? We will get together in a room and go through what went well, what, what we failed miserably doing, uh, and just kind of talk through that. Uh, in fact, we were preparing, my chief of staff was preparing to have a tabletop exercise to talk about tornado response with everybody involved. But unfortunately, we got real life experience. We didn't need a, an exercise. Do you have a quick sense of what you did really well and, and, and what you think you need to touch up? Well, I think our first responders did amazingly well by getting on scene quickly to make sure that people, we were looking for people, make sure there was nobody missing. Uh, they responded to the injured. About two dozen people were injured. Sadly, uh, three people lost their lives, including one 10-year-old boy. Um, so I think we did that very, very well. Um, we could do better at volunteer management. We had no idea. We didn't expect thousands, literally three or 4,000 people to show up, uh, either through the portal we set up or they just showed up and pick up trucks with trailers and chainsaws um, to help. So that was a little bit we got to do a better job with that, but that's a, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Would that all fall under the category of an after action report, Mayor? Yes, yes, sir. That's that's exactly what we call it. Well, and you're wearing an Austin P quarter zip. So is your new football coach? Is he on the ground helping out? He was on the ground. I can't say if he was helping out or not. He was in town yesterday for a press conference to introduce him. Um, I suspect he may be either physically here or went back to where he was living to kind of get his affairs in order. Um, you know, he's got two small children and a wife and a family and Christmas is two weeks away. And so we're dealing with all that. So, but Austin P, the president of Austin P reached out, the athletic director, Gerald Harrison reached out, said, whatever you need Austin P to do, we're there. And so the main point from a financial contribution perspective, you're directing people to the United Way of Greater Clarksville. 
Yeah, we're asking if you want to make a contribution financially, go there because um, we know 100 percent of the, that money will be used. The other there's other organizations and churches collecting money, which is great. Um, but we know there's going to be some gaps and needs people to pay utility deposits and rent deposits on new apartments because theirs is gone. Um, furniture and fixtures and clothing and food and all those things we just take for granted. And has power been restored? No, no, we're still short, short of 7,000 people without as of late last night. Um, but I was out in the area early this morning and our uh, Department of Electricity crews and others, we've had probably 50 or 60 crews from out of out of the region come and they're restoring power as quickly as possible. Clearly, some of those structures don't need power because they're not there anymore. So there's still going to be a lingering number after the cleanup is over that don't have power because there's no structure there to put power to. Trucks from NES and other departments coming up there to help? They're from all over the region, NES, Florida, everywhere. This is going to sound redundant, Mayor, but I want to make sure we're clear on this. Uh, again, you've mentioned the United Way, but again, lay out for folks who are not affected. What are the best practices here to help, to get involved? It sounds like you've got a volunteer portal set up. The United Way, but like again, no, we don't need rubbernecking through neighborhoods. Right. Um, we don't need any of that. So again, just lay it all out for folks. Best way to help, best way to get involved, and best way that to maybe think through some of the things that you know infrastructure that could be affected by some of the decisions we make. Let's be super aware of that kind of stuff. Yeah, one of the things I've been saying consistently is this week everybody's attention is turned directly to help the people because that's what we do. Immediately we jump in, we have a bias toward action and respond. Next week our Time and attention will be focused toward Christmas, and people will think, well, that problem's solved. We can move on. Not everybody, certainly, but next week is when we'll really need people even more because that'll be the second and third pass through some of these neighborhoods. But if you want to volunteer, we have a phone number you can call, 931-245-2988, 931-245-2988. Those phones are staffed at the Emergency Operations Center, and that's if you want to volunteer, if you have a company that has trucks or tarps or, or people or bulldozers or skid steers, whatever you've got, we're kind of pushing people there. If you are a victim or you your family's impacted, go to the city of Clarksville website at the top. There's a banner, you click on it, and there's a list of dozens, if not a couple of hundred resources there categorized according to what the need is. Food, shelter, clothing, you name it. Um, and we will be there to help. The SBA is on, on the ground now, currently, got, got here today. Uh, as I said, FEMA and TEMA, uh, I've heard from our congressional delegation, Congressman Green, um, Senator Blackburn, Senator Haggerty's office. They've been very responsive to us, so we're grateful. Mayor, thank you so much uh, for giving us a few minutes of your time. This is normally the part of the show where we would say, hey, rate, review, subscribe to the show and share it and all that other stuff. But as of right now, uh, it sounds like find out what you've got extra or what you can spare and reach out to the communities. Clarksville, of course, the number is there. We'll have all the, the links in the show notes as well. And of course, in Madison and Hendersonville as well, going through all of this together. So that is what we would ask our audience to do is to activate, but do it smartly, do it thoughtfully, and, and reach out to you guys to, to find out what you, you really need. So Mayor, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, but we do appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thank you, Braden. Thank you, Jamie. Always good to be with you.